Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. In light of the fact that this is a special day, we've invited a very special guest to come and to share with us. And so here we have brought to Wildwood for this morning, for this very moment, the one, the only, Mr. Jimmy Stewart. So Jimmy, come on up. Let's welcome Jimmy Stewart. Well, thank you, Mr. Robinson. It's a real pleasure to be here this morning. I know probably all of you have heard of the, the famous uh, poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. And, well, that was written back in 1822 by uh, Mr. Clement Clark Moore. Uh, what I've done is I've kind of rewritten that myself, and it's called The Sunday Before Christmas. And, uh, and this was just written last week. <laughs> well... It was the Sunday before Christmas when all through the house we were all ready for church except for my spouse. <laughs> uh, uh, I buckled our three boys in the minivan with care in hopes that their mama soon would be there. Uh, uh, well, minutes passed by and in the, in the driveway we sat. It was already 1040 and we hadn't left yet. Uh, I looked at my watch. Uh, it was starting to snow. My wife finally got in and shouted, let's go. Uh, we, we raced up Robinson and north on 24th. The second service had already started, of course. Well, I, I did circles around the massive parking lot. Everyone else was on time, and I couldn't find a spot. I dropped my family off at the front door, had to park across the bridge, and jumped out of the car. Our barcode didn't work to check in the kids, so, so I typed in our code, and out came their tags. We made it to their classrooms, and they started to walk in. But the boys' rooms were empty. They'd already left for the gym. By the time we got to worship, the band was finishing their set. I scanned the room for a seat. I was starting to sweat. It was dark. And I wondered if this was worthwhile, especially when it became clear there were no seats on the aisle. Oh, I, I felt my way through the darkness and whispered, well, well fiddle, oh, it, it looks like we'll have to take a seat in the middle. <laughs> well, when all through the room, there arose such a clatter, I could tell from all the parents that something was the matter. Well, it only took a second to, to figure out what was wrong. Up high on the wall, that, that box with the numbers was on. The number was bright, and it continued to flicker. We, we all reached in our pockets to pull out our sticker. Well, well, my sticker wasn't there. I was feeling quite stressed. I, I had to check on the boys, so I, I got up and left. Uh, out of the sanctuary, I flew like a flash. And when I got to the foyer, I heard a great crash. 
out the, out the front windows. Well, I couldn't believe what I saw. Uh, eight reindeer, a, a sleigh, and, and what looked like Santa Claus. He was dressed all in fur, and I thought this had to be a dream. I admit Santa looked good in his crimson and cream. Uh, uh, well, I, I moved closer, and I noticed his, his button-up shirt. It, it hung out from under his jacket as he kept to his work. Uh, he moved quickly and kept on filling his pack, and under his fur pants, I, I, I thought I saw khaki slacks. And he didn't wear a belt, which I thought was a little weird. Even stranger than that, this Santa, he didn't have a beard. After a good look at his face and the way he was dressed, well, this Santa wasn't Santa. No, no, Santa was Bruce Hess. (laughs) Come on, he said as he looked at the time. I can't believe I've been doing this since 1979. Uh, uh, I thought of all the things our church has done and and is doing, from just a few in a garage to several hundred members and growing. You know, we're we're actively involved within the community. Uh, From OU to Tinker, we, we spread our ministry uh, so, so what I was seeing it was starting to make sense. Uh, did you know we have ministries on six continents? Uh, so we're not just in Norman. We're all over the world because the news of our Savior has got to be heard. And then Bruce whistled and signaled and he called out for his team And the reindeer as well were not quite what they seemed. Now now Bradford, now Horton, uh, Sherman, Hayes, and Brooke Harrison. uh, On Abernathy, on Hill, uh, on Holmes and Mark Robinson. And the sleigh, it it rose up and began to take flight. And I heard Bruce exclaim as they flew out of sight, Joy to the world, remember God is good, Uh, and Merry Christmas to all from us at Wildwood. Thank you very much. Thank you. Join me again in just thanking our kids and start. Also, our great team of staff and volunteers who did such an awesome job with the kids. You know, we started our, our FX service earlier this year, and uh, we've, we've got several under our belt, and I would love to have you come back and join us tonight. If you've been wondering about checking out what FX is all about, maybe this gives you a taste of some of the things you might see on Sunday evenings once a month here at Wildwood. I want to reflect a little bit about Christmas. I mean, Christmas is a time of stories. We've all got memories of Christmases over the last several years. And I want to take you back to Christmas 1980. Think about where you were Christmas 1980. Uh, Some of you weren't alive yet. Many of you were Christmas 1980. Well, I was seven years old in Christmas 1980. And when when I think back to to that era and that, that period of life, Um, if celebrating Christmas, this is a special year because I have a son who's going to be seven this year. 
And so I can kind of think about and mark, you know, what he's thinking and feeling and experiencing in light of what, what, uh, uh, what I was thinking back in 1980. But in 1980, I filled out my Christmas wish list, and there was one item on the list that was very, very important to me. And this was an, an item that was tied to a very famous movie that came out in 1980, The Empire Strikes Back. And uh, I was a big Star Wars fan, still am. Um, and I really like Star Wars toys. And so in 1980, well, all I wanted for Christmas was an AT-AT walker. And so I, I thought of all the ways to communicate that desire, that wish to my parents in every creative form possible. I let them know. I made it known. I shouted from the rooftops. What I wanted for Christmas was an AT-AT walker. And so Christmas comes and the presents are wrapped under the tree and we're going around and we're opening different presents and uh, we, we get, uh, you know, all of them open. There was a few that were maybe large enough to, to house an AT-AT walker. And, and I opened those first, thinking that I would be excited. No AT-AT walker. Uh, we get through all of the presents. And, you know, my sister had gotten me some nice things. My, my grandparents had gotten me some nice things. My parents had gotten me some nice things. But no AT-AT walker. And so, you know, I was, I was selfish I was seven. I'm selfish at 40. I was selfish at seven. And I'm like, I'm so disappointed. There's no AT-AT walker. But I'm trying to hold it together and put on a good face. And thanks, mom and dad and all this stuff. So all the presents are done. All the paper is open. And uh, my dad says, Mark, could you go into the garage and get a trash bag to come back and clean up all of this trash? And so you know, I, I, th I think, okay, fine, whatever. So I, I go out into the garage, and when I open the door into the garage, what did I find but an AT, AT walker? And I totally freaked out. Um, I came running back into the, the living room, carrying this, um, and just celebrating. There's a picture of me, literally, my eyes are about you know, a foot and a half outside of my head. It was like a cartoon. It was this exciting moment as a family. Um, and I, I got this incredible toy, and my parents had surprised me, and, and it was great. Um, you know, what's really amazing is that uh, this toy uh, is still around. Right? How, many, how many Christmas presents are still around 33 years after they were given? This one is. Uh, my son still plays with it occasionally. But you know what I, what I found about this... Uh, <laughs> I still play with it too, all right. Um, but what I found about this present, and this is true of lots of presents like this, right? Um, it was amazing the day that I opened it. But you know what? It wasn't awesome. And you know, about two weeks later, I played with it a little less. Three weeks, a little less. Within a month, I'd moved on. Uh, I still have it 33 years later, but it, but it doesn't possess the same wonder and awe that it did that first evening. Uh, this is what happens with pieces of plastic, right? And you know, we don't need to go back to 1980 to prove that. We can find that out just by reflecting on our own lives. You know, as we get older, what we want for Christmas many times is just a different piece of plastic. It doesn't look like this, though I may have given an idea to some of you in the room. Um, but we, we have different things that we want for Christmas. Sometimes we want pieces of plastic that have power buttons and hard drives, uh, but it's just a piece of plastic. And you know what happens to those pieces of plastic that we want for Christmas? Um, just like this AT-AT walker, it begins to lose its enthusiasm. It begins to lose its, its excitement over time. And, you know, we know this as adults. That's why as we get older, we begin to reframe 
kind of the perfect Christmas. We begin to reframe the holiday season, and we begin to think that Christmas is not about us asking for pieces of plastic, that Christmas is about us giving pieces of plastic to other people. But you know what the sad reality is? Just like the pieces of plastic that we ask for have kind of a diminishing return in our lives, so the pieces of plastic we give have a diminishing return in the lives of those that we give them to. I mean, how many of the gifts that you gave your kids five years ago do they still play with? They have a shelf life, don't they? I mean, they're, they're fun while they last. I'm not, I'm not dogging presents. We're buying pieces of plastic for our son. Don't tell them. Uh, we got stuff purchased. We got it ready to go. Uh, but, you know, th- there's a sense that it's unsatisfying at the holidays to make it all about just getting a piece of plastic. It also makes it unsatisfying to focus on giving pieces of plastic. There's got to be something better. There's got to be a better wish for our Christmas list. And really, the, the thing that makes Christmas amazing and the gift that makes Christmas amazing is not a gift that we give. The thing that makes Christmas amazing is the gift that we receive, and that gift is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why we gather as a church during the Christmas season is to celebrate this gift that was given. This month, Bruce and I are doing this series of messages that we've just simply titled The Gift, because Jesus is the most amazing Christmas gift that we could ever possibly receive. And we want to focus our attention on receiving Jesus, because he is the best gift. Now, what I want us to do today with the balance of our time is I want us to look at the book of Luke in chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And in those verses, we're going to see laid out for us very famous Christmas verses. In those verses, we're going to see laid out for us um, why it is that Jesus is the best Christmas gift. Um, Because in the declaration, the announcement of Jesus' birth that the angels give to the shepherds that's recorded for us in the gospel of Luke, provides for us clues as to why Jesus is the best gift. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 8. Now, it's it's interesting to begin a Christmas message in verse 8 because what happens in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 2? Jesus is born. Talk about burying the lead. I'm just jumping all the way to to verse 8. But Jesus is born in the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. And in verses 8 and following, what we have is we have this declaration or an announcement to the shepherds and to the people living in that area that Jesus is born that day and the significance of that birth. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, as we see how Jesus is the best gift. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. The same region being the region of Bethlehem, the city where Jesus was born. There were fields around that city where people raised sheep. Oftentimes the sheep raised in those fields were being prepared to be Passover lambs. But because of that, there were a number of shepherds and flocks in that region. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. This was not normal for them to be visited by angels. They'd been in those fields many nights. They had not been in those fields and seen angels in the sky ever before. 
And it was a, an, an awe-inspiring thing. I mean, I, I, I know I say this several times, you've heard me speak, but you know, a lot of times we think of angels as kind of these little precious moments-looking creatures, but that's not the case. The reality of an angel in the Bible is somebody that inspires awe. It's somebody that people are fearful when they see. And so when the shepherds look up in the sky and they see this, this heavenly army, they immediately are struck with great fear. Because when an angel shows up, they're either getting ready to smite you or they're going to tell you some good news, and they didn't know which one it was going to be. Verse 10, it says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. There had to be a tremendous deep breath that took place, even as their breath escaped them. What is this good news of great joy? The angel has not come to kill us. The angel has come to make an incredible announcement of something wonderful that has happened. It is good news. It is great joy. And the verse continues, and it's for all the people. That included those shepherds. This was not just good news of great joy for one family. You know, here's the thing. When you have a baby, it is good news. When you have a baby, it's great joy. It's good news and it's great joy for your family. It may be even good news and great joy for your family and some friends. But there are babies born all over the place. And not all of them are good news of great joy for all of the people. But this announcement is about good news of great joy for all of the people. And it's, it's demonstrated very dramatically in that this announcement was going to shepherds. See, the shepherds were not um, the spiritual elite. The shepherds were the average Joes. The, shep- the shepherds were not the educated. The shepherds were the, the, the physical laborers of their day. Yes, the Old Testament used shepherds as a picture of God's care for his nation Israel, but the role of shepherd was, was not something that many aspired to. These were common, average people. And so when the announcement comes to the shepherds, it further underlines the fact that this really is a message for all the people. It's for the shepherds. But the message wasn't just for the shepherds. It wasn't just for the common people. Remember, this was a message for all of the people. And so it wasn't just for the common people of the nation of Israel. It also was for the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. The reason why we know that is because Jesus had a very famous uncle named Zechariah, whose wife was named Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth were given a gift of a baby that was going to be born, John the Baptist. This is what Luke chapter 1 is about. And this baby of John the Baptist that's within Elizabeth begins leaping for joy whenever Elizabeth is around Mary. And Zechariah and Elizabeth became acquainted even while their baby was in their womb, even while Jesus was in Mary's womb. They were acquainted with the fact that the, the baby that would be born to Mary would be the Savior would be Christ the Lord. And Zechariah had a very particular job. You know what his job was? He was a priest. He was a religious leader. Well, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us this good news of great joy was for all of the people. It was for the common people of Israel, the shepherds. It was for the religious leaders of Israel, Zechariah and the priests. But it was also not just for the leaders of Israel or the common people of Israel, But it was really for all people, including the Gentiles. See, God gave angels to talk to the shepherds, but God put a star in the sky for who? The Magi. Who were the Magi? Non-Jewish folks. 
You see, in the announcement of Jesus' birth, what we see is that this is not just a birth that one family would celebrate. This is not just a birth that one nation would celebrate. This is not just a birth that the religious elite would celebrate. It's not just a birth that the common people would celebrate. But this was a birth that would have an impact for every person who was alive on the earth. This was good news. This was bringing great joy. And this was for all the people. Well, what was this good news of great joy for all the people? Well, it was centered on a baby that was born. It says, for unto you, the angel says, is born this day in the city of David, that place right over there, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus' birth was good news of great joy for all of the people. Verse 12 continues. It says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, I think this is a very interesting thing that happened here. Um, to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes was, was not abnormal in that day. That's kind of what they wrapped babies in. You might have heard this before. This is true. They would, they would wrap babies in these swaddling cloths, but they also would would wrap dead bodies in swaddling cloths. But that wasn't unique to Jesus. That was something that happened with with all kids. You know, birth leads a process that eventually ends in death. And so we we see that. But Jesus being wrapped in the swaddling cloths just was part of the experience of being born in Palestine. But what's interesting is that Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths was going to be placed into a manger, a place where animals feed. Now, that was unique. See, the the shepherds who were in the the hillside were invited to go into the city and to find a baby who was going to be Christ the Lord. And the way that they were to identify which baby it was, it was going to be the baby who was sleeping in a horse trough. Though there might have been many babies across Bethlehem, there was only one who was sleeping that way. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was sleeping in the manger. I mean, certainly there's implications that it it was his full identification, the humility that he came within. There wasn't even a a proper cradle, not even a proper room born in a, a stable placed in a manger. But you know another reason why Jesus was born that way? So that he could very easily and clearly be identified by the shepherds who would go visit him. There was only one baby who was sleeping in a manger, and that was Jesus. You see, When Jesus was born, God didn't hide him. God didn't hide him. I mean, he sent angels in the sky to proclaim his birth. It was not a secret. He said, Jesus is born. And he not only was he born, but he said, this is where you'll find him. He did everything but give an address. Bethlehem wasn't a big place. They could go and check all of the barns. Eventually, there's one baby in one manger. That's the one that they were to worship. God clearly identified who Jesus was. The intention was for the shepherds to go and to worship him because it was good news of great joy for all the people. And suddenly, there was with them, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying. In other words, there's like an angel in the sky talking. Suddenly, just like that, the sky is full. There's angels everywhere. And they begin singing this song. They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I think it's interesting that 
what is promised in Christ. The good news of great joy related to Christ is that it would be something related to peace. Jesus' birth, his life, eventually his death and his resurrection would usher in peace. But what does that mean? I mean, when we read that as 21st century Americans, we read this word peace, we read it in this context, we think it's just like the angel saying, hey, and Merry Christmas, y'all. That's just, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men. I mean, that's what we imagine this means. But when an angel says peace to a group of Jewish shepherds in Palestine in the first century, it's a loaded term. Because the idea of peace goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to this idea of the shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, the shalom that God provides. It was not just the cessation of conflict, but it was the provision of an area where you would live within all of the blessings of God. And you know, there's a, a, an Old Testament, or an, I'm sorry, a New Testament a story, an account of Jesus' interaction with a woman that helps us to understand a little more of what the peace of God looks like as it comes to us. And this story is recorded in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 24 to 34, where Jesus is going to work a miracle in the life of a woman. But the way he does it reveals to us a little bit about what it means when the shalom of God comes to rest in a situation. Listen to what it says. In Mark chapter 5, it says, And Jesus went with this man, and and a great crowd followed Jesus, and they thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, again, there's that word, peace. Now, when we read that, and when I've read that before at different times, I've thought, well, Jesus just gave like a nice little send-off. Hey, you know, blessings be upon you. Hey, have a great day. See you later. Peace be upon you. But that's not what Jesus was getting at. What Jesus was getting at when he said peace to this woman is he was saying that the shalom of God has has come upon your situation. In the very way in which Jesus related to this woman, in the fact that he made her touching of his robe public, showed that Jesus was not just interested in healing her physically, but he was interested in restoring peace to her life. You see, the woman was already healed when she touched his hem. Jesus wasn't trying to embarrass her. Jesus was, was... illuminating her story so that she would not just have physical healing, but she would have a full restoration of life. You see, Jesus took a life that was broken physically. She was hemorrhaging, and he stopped the blood. He brought physical healing. Jesus took a life that was was broken financially. She had spent all her money with crooked doctors who had not been able to help her, but had taken all of her money. He took her and she would no longer have to waste her money 
in that setting because shalom, peace, had come to her situation. He had took someone who was experiencing great conflict religiously. Because of her bleeding, they would have not allowed her to worship with the people of God uh, because they would have said that she was unclean. And in a moment, by Jesus healing her, he brought peace to her religiously. She could now go and she could worship. He brought peace to her in her relationship with God. She would have been known as a sinner among the people. Common vernacular of the day would have been, for her to have a medical condition like that, she must have done something really terrible. But Jesus healing her lets people know that she's also forgiven. Healing and restoration, peace in all of those areas. See, Jesus could have brought physical healing by doing nothing else than letting her touch his robe, but he addresses her so that her and all of the people around her would understand that she is fully restored as a member of the community. Peace had come upon her. And so we take this idea of shalom, this idea of peace, and we need to to push it forward into the angel's announcement. Because when the angels appear in the sky and says, this is good news of great joy for all the people, that peace has come, what they're saying is not just Merry Christmas. What they're saying is that this incredible realm of God's blessing has been established with those who are living in relationship with him. See, Jesus was to initiate, to inaugurate a kingdom which would have blessings and benefits for all who were a part of it. Because one day Jesus will return to this earth. And when he does, because of the victory that he won at his first coming, you and I have the opportunity to live in a world in which there will be no physical illness because peace has come. You and I will have, we'll live in a world where we will not have people who will not have enough to eat because shalom will have come to the earth. You and I will live in a world that is not divided up religiously where people are, are separated and kept away from God, but we'll be able to usher into his presence and worship where we actually see him. And this is not just a temporary condition, but it will go on forever and our sins can actually be forgiven. See, when the angel says that peace has come, it's an enormous thing. You and I have the opportunity to live in the shalom, the peace of God, because of what Jesus has done. The reason why he is the most amazing gift is because he delivers that which never decays and never breaks. Now, what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? You know, the the shepherds and the hillsides were given this incredible declaration Jesus was identified to them. The the significance of his life and coming were identified to them. But the the shepherds still had to do something. See, if the shepherds would have just sat in the hillside, heard this incredible presentation, this beautiful singing and worship in the heavens, they'd have heard that and gone, wow, that was really cool. Hey, I'm just going to get some more shut-eye. I'll see you in the morning. And the next day forgot about anything that had happened. The story would have been very different. But that's not what happened, is it? The shepherds heard the worship, the shepherds heard the message, and instead of ignoring it, instead of just passively keeping it at a distance, they actively pursued it. They got up and they walked into the city and they found Jesus and they worshiped him. Look at what it says in verses 15 to 20. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See, the shepherds heard the message. They saw the revelation, but then they went and they worshiped. And that was a step of faith. It showed that they believed what they heard. It showed that they embraced the reality that the baby in the horse trough was the one who would be the savior of the world. It was a step of faith. And you know what? It's a great model and an example for all of us. See, God has wrapped up for us in the Christmas story this amazing gift that reminds us of the peace, the shalom that he provides in Christ. But in order for that to be actualized for us, in order for us to gain benefit of that, in order for us to be one of those on whom his favor rests, as it says earlier in the passage, then we have to open the gift in faith. You know, I often have wondered, and I think I'm going to ask my dad this this, this this Christmas. I've often wondered what would have happened had I told my dad that I did not want to go get the garbage bag out of the garage. I wonder what his backup plan was. You know, if I'd have said, hey, dad, you know, why don't you go get the garbage bag? If I'd have looked at my sister and said, hey, Debbie, dad needs a garbage bag. If I'd have looked at my mom and said the same thing, what would have happened? What would have been the plan? I'll tell you what would have happened. The next day, my dad would have taken it back, gotten his money back. No, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have done that. How would it play out in your house? That would, that's not the way it would play out. How it would play out is he would, he would then give me another chance. He would think of another thing. Hey, you know what? I'm thirsty. You want something to drink? Why don't you go to the refrigerator in the garage and get us something to drink? He would have come up with another way. If I'd have, if I'd have you know, rejected that offer, he would have said, hey, why don't you come with me? I, I, want you, I want you to help me put something together. He would have figured out a way to get me in the garage. He would have given me many opportunities until the point that I walked out of the house and said, enough, I am leaving you at seven years old and I'm going to pursue a home that has an AT-AT walker. And up and until that point, he would have continued to pursue me and give me opportunities to get it. You know what, this Christmas, this is not the first time you've heard this story. This isn't the first time. And you live in Norman, Oklahoma. It is very likely that you have heard this story hundreds of times. And yet, I also know in a room this size with, with everybody here that there are those here who, though we've heard that story, we've never gone and opened the present. And you might be here today going, okay, same song, 100th verse, Christmas, Luke 2, we get it. But you know what this morning is? This morning is your heavenly Father's whispering in your ear, hey, go to the garage. I've got something great for you. Hey, go to Luke 2. Open the present. There's peace inside for you. Because our Heavenly Father loves you, and He is pursuing you so much that He has this gift for you, and He wants you to open it this Christmas. And if you are here today and you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, if you have, have never come to the point where you have understood that, hey, we're sinful, we're separated from God, we, we get that, God is holy, we're not, and no amount of our good works will ever earn us an audience in his presence, 
And until we come to realize that our only hope is that baby that was born in Bethlehem who would live out a perfect life and one day die on the cross to take all of the penalty that your sins and mine deserve and then raise from the dead after three days, validating and verifying that he was who he said he was. And I believe there are some here today who that story that you're now hearing for the hundredth time as a request from your heavenly father to go get the present, that maybe today you might come to know Christ the Savior, and today you might place your faith and your trust in him. Now, for the rest of us, there are also many in this room who have embraced this message, who have opened this gift years ago, who have celebrated now dozens of Christmases with memories of that first moment that the birth of Jesus gained significance for you. Um, here's the beautiful thing for us. Every piece of plastic that you give, every piece of plastic you receive is, is a diminishing return. It gets banged up. Your son puts weird stickers on it of Darth Maul. He wasn't there in 1980, okay? Um, <laughs> but Jesus is different. We can go back every year every day, and we can celebrate his goodness because he was just as good today as he was the moment you first trusted him. And this Christmas, we can focus on him and not what we're giving and not what we're receiving. And listen, this is not a message against giving presents. I like presents. If you want to give me some, that's awesome. No, kidding. Um, Here's what I'm saying. As you go about the next two weeks and as you celebrate by exchanging gifts with friends, don't let your mind be consumed with the plastic that's going away. Let your focus be on the Savior who brings peace. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for today, and we thank you for just the great privilege and opportunity to to worship, to um, just to gather with these kids and, and with each other and to celebrate the gift of peace that you give us in Christ. And Father, I pray right now, Um, for those who are here that are hearing this message for the hundredth time, but it suddenly is making sense. Your spirit is opening eyes and and drawing hearts. And so, Father, I pray today for, for anyone here who is for the first time on the edge of trusting and placing their faith in you. I pray, Father, that you would give them that faith and that right now where they sit, they would be trusting in the gift that you're providing us in Christ. And Father, for all of us, I pray that our focus would be on you and on your gift and on the peace that Christ brings and not on any of the other stuff. As wonderful as it is, Father, it is nothing compared to you because Jesus is our best gift. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude our service by singing. Um, which is a wonderful way for us to respond to God and all that he has done for us. And we're going to sing this song about raising our candle and declaring to the world that Jesus is born. And that's exactly what the shepherds did. As they saw this message, they worshiped Christ and they spread that message to others. So please stand with us now as FX team leads us in the singing of Raise Your Candle.